Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and I hope you've had a great week. I just want to remind you of some of the podcasts that we've had in the last couple of months. We had Sally Ann Upton, who was a star on Wentworth TV show and also Neighbours, and she spoke all about her life uh, as a nurse uh, working through COVID. We also had Simply Anxious last week, who is pretty big on Instagram, and she's just written a book about her life and stories that could help you if you've got anxiety. Sugar and Sloth was on, and she's got those beautiful characters with great positive mental health messages. She was quite a a hit. People love Anita from Sugar and Sloth. And we also had The Cult of Nexium with Sarah Edmondson, where she spoke quite openly about the brutality of going through being in a cult, being branded in the cult, and then being the whistleblower who went to the New York Times and blew the story on that. The leader of that cult, Keith Ranieri, is actually, he's just been charged and he's now got 120 years in jail. So it's actually good if you think about cults and what they do, that we learn about what happens to the leaders at the end. So anyway, today we've got a fan favourite who came on and spoke about narcissism and he also spoke about borderline personality disorder And he is a fan favourite. He's really loved in America. It's Isaac Lee, a psychologist and debonair young man. So how are you, Isaac? I'm really good. I'm really good. And I'm glad to be back. It's uh, it's been a while, so uh, it's good to be back. It, it is good to see you again because you always come on board and you always have a topic to talk about, which is really interesting. And I think that's what the people at home like when they're listening to you is they can get involved because sometimes with the podcast, it's just me talking to someone, which is great. But with you, you usually ask us little questions. I hope I don't have too many questions for today because I'm not prepared for them. <laughs> we'll see how we go. All right, all right. Look, I think today I wanted to talk about something that's uh, really near and dear to my heart because of, of how much it applies to me. And so I find it really fascinating to kind of learn about these different personality profiles or these different patterns that we have in life. And when we can see them and see how it applies to us and to other people, having a little bit more information about those patterns can give us a little bit more autonomy to then make decisions about how we want to act or how we want to behave or how we want to do these things in a positive way and try to have the pros without the cons. And the one that I really want to talk about today is people poisoning. Okay. What conjures up in your mind when I say the phrase people poisoning? Well, I would say people that can't say no, really that they can't say no, they need to help other people. They they feel like that's what they have to do. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So there's there's often like the phrase people poisoning often comes with some like negative connotations. Uh, you know, like we shouldn't be people pleasers. Uh, I often use the term people pleasers or self-sacrifices interchangeably. Empathy is a big one that comes through. So certainly people that feel the pain of others. Yep. What we're talking about today, it's got a couple of different names, you know, between people pleasers, self-sacrifices, empaths. There's uh, different words or phrases that use this kind of personality profile. Let me, let me ask you a couple of questions and see how much uh, this applies to you. Okay. Do you find that you feel the pain of others, like your, your empathy levels? What do you reckon compared to the average? Where do you think your empathy was? Um, I'd say I'm about an eight or nine. 
Yeah, I think that's accurate. I, I, I would have guessed nine or ten. That's okay. Uh, that's what I would I never want to go right to the top, though. I always want to be just a little bit below. Yeah, I might even say 11 sometimes. <laughs> like, uh, I think that you go to a lot of effort. And this is the thing, right? People that are self-sacrificers, they go to a lot of effort to help the people around them, right? They go to a lot of effort to try to make the world a better place. Yeah. And these people, are, they're my favourite people. My favorite people to interact with personally, professionally, they're, they're just people that try to make the world a better place, that are empathic towards the needs of others, that often prioritize other people's needs before their own. Yeah. All of these things just make for a really, like, just a nice person. Can I just say to you that I'm really happy you said that because when we first discussed what we would talk about and you said people pleasers, I thought, oh, my God, that's me and I'm going to be someone that Isaac says, oh, well, no, you, you shouldn't be this empathic and you shouldn't please so many people because, you know, that's running your energy down because that's what I've heard in the past. Oh, you need to think of yourself. And I think, well, I do think of myself, but then I always put other people forward because I want to help them too. Mm, yeah. And I think that's a good thing. We should actually celebrate that, right? Yeah. We should go, you know, Yay. like, <laughs> like <laughs> go people places, right? Like, there's some negative connotations to it, but I really like, you know, self-sacrifices and, and people that uh, really just want to make the world a better place. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about today is some of the different uh, aspects of self-sacrificing that apply to some people, but I really want to kind of highlight the pros, highlight the cons and then go, well, how are we going to take this information and use it so that we can still have the really good things about being self-sacrifices? And then also be able to kind of consciously set some boundaries in place so that we don't go too far sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that comes up quite regularly with people that prioritize the needs of other people, so self-sacrifices, is that often the give-get ratio becomes out of balance in one's life. So how often have you found yourself in a position with a friendship where you've just realised that you're giving a hell of a lot more than you're getting in return? While you were saying that, I was thinking about it, and I can think of quite a few over the years, and I'm thinking like back 20, 30 years, you know, where I've done so much for someone trying to help them and and then I ask for something in return and it's like, oh, I can't do it this weekend, but maybe next weekend or the weekend after. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to get it done this weekend. And they're like, well, oh, I can't help you. And you think, my God, I've done everything for you and now I need some help once and you can't help me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that give-get ratio, when it gets out of balance, there's often a bit of frustration, disappointment, feeling a bit upset. Yeah. And then it can even, you know, start to go into a bit of anger and a bit of resentment as well. And so what happens when we feel that anger and resentment, that's when eventually, as it builds up, the wind blows off and, and we crack it. Well, we yeah. uh, get really disappointed with people. We might end friendships because we haven't set these small boundaries along the way. And so there's been all of these kind of like small violations where that give-get ratio is out of balance. And eventually yeah. we have to say, no, nah, enough is enough. Yeah. And often that enough is enough is a stage where it's really, it's, it can be pretty extreme, right? Like depending on uh, the individual, but like if we find ourselves in a position where we're constantly trying to prioritize other people's needs before our own, then we can find ourselves in this kind of position. Yeah. Now, one of the things that happens, I often refer to this as the pendulum, 
So on one end of the pendulum, we've got that resentment and anger, right? So when that give-get ratio gets out of balance, we start to go from that self-sacrificing and then we get into that resentment, that anger, and then we crack it and we say enough's enough and we maybe get angry at somebody, maybe yell at somebody, maybe say, no, I'm not going to do that. And then we experience a significant amount of guilt. Yeah. So guilt is going to be something we're going to talk a fair bit about today in terms of self-sacrificing because it is an emotion that drives a lot of that self-sacrificing. So when we feel guilty, we feel like, oh, I'm being a bad person. I shouldn't have yelled at them. I shouldn't have set that boundary. I should have helped them move house. I, I should have been on the phone to them at uh, 11 p.m., 12, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., even though I had work the next day. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have got upset with them for borrowing my jumper and not returning it. All of these things that we, we then feel this guilt. And then that guilt drives us back to self-sacrificing. So in an effort to alleviate that guilt in order for us to feel like we're not a bad person, to feel better about ourselves, we end up subjugating or self-sacrificing. Now, you, you might have noticed that word subjugating. So that's one of the things that comes under that term in the psych world we call it subjugation. So you know like a king or a queen has subjects? So subjugation is when we subjugate ourselves by prioritizing the needs of others before our own. Right. So guilt. Guilt drives that subjugation. What do you think about that? As I say that, how much does it apply to you? Um, I must admit, I might have so much on for a day, and if my mum calls and needs something, I do feel guilty if I say, no, I can't do that today. I have to do it tomorrow. And I've noticed that with a few other people, like, yeah, I do feel the guilt if I feel like I can't achieve something for someone. And now that you're saying that, I can feel that on weekends when I've got limited time, I feel more and more, well, yeah, guilty because people are asking me to do things and I feel like, well, I should be doing that. Mm. But then I also want to have a rest. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's hard kind of like working out your priorities trying to help other people, trying to alleviate the guilt that you might be experiencing. And that's where that subjugation comes in. We feel guilty and then in an, in an effort to alleviate that guilt, like we then enter into that subjugation phase where we prioritize other people's needs and we say, you know what, I just won't sleep, I'll go help that person. Yeah. I won't uh, listen to my podcast, I'll instead go and help this person move house. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that we talk about in therapy is tolerating the guilt. So I'm going to come back to that phrase, tolerating the guilt, but I want to kind of pivot a little bit back to the origin of subjugation. Yeah. So one thing that is often the case with individuals that subjugate, that prioritize the needs of others is that when they're younger, that was the dynamic that needed to be at play for that individual. Yep. If you have a brother or a sister or a mum or a dad or somebody close to you that's maybe unwell or sick when you're growing up, what we learn is that maybe we get a pat on the back when we're nice to mum when she's sick. Yeah. Maybe we get told that we're a good kid for looking after our grandmother. Maybe we get told off if we're not nice to our sick sibling. So what we learn is that maybe love or value that we have as an individual is based on us doing nice things for other people. And you're right. Yeah. I can think back to, I grew up in England and in the street we lived in, it was a little bit, I guess, like Ramsey Street. You knew everybody in the street, the old people, the young people, the kids. 
And I was always someone when I was, I mean, we moved here when I was 11, so I must have been about eight or nine. I would help the old ladies walk up to the church. There was a church at the top of our street and my parents used to send me and my two sisters to Sunday school and everybody in the church there loved me because I was such a nice person. And But I always made sure I did things for other people. And at the top of our street as well was a park and we used to pull the blossom off of uh, this tree and put them all together on a board and then take them down to the old people in the street who were sick and give them to them so that they had something nice to look at. That sounds pretty like wanky nowadays, but that's what I did. You know, as a kid, I was always looking out for the older people. And I think it was that, not probably that generation, but the street we lived in was a very compassionate, caring street where everybody looked out for everybody. Mm. So you can, uh, yeah, there's probably a bunch of people listening at the moment that are going, oh, yeah, the thing that this happened, like when this happened, or, yeah, my mum was unwell and so I did look after her and I did get praise for that. Yeah. Uh, the, the other subjugation is when we're told that we have to. Yeah. So this one comes with a little bit more fear of the consequences if we don't yeah. do it. So there's kind of like we can sometimes split it up into fear of consequences if we don't look after other people. So there's a bad thing that happens. Yep. Or the other one, which is I'm a good person if I look after people. So it's like a positive reinforcement versus a punishment. Yeah, yeah. But both of them end up in this situation in our adulthood where, yeah, we kind of instinctively prioritise the needs of other people because that's what we're taught is the way for us to get value. And in terms of our own self-worth, our own value. And is that a bad thing? I think that it's a great thing sometimes. Yeah. Or, or I might use the term in moderation. Okay, yeah, yeah. So when you think about other people, when you you, know, you stop and go, oh, I wonder how that person's feeling. Maybe I'll give them a call. Yeah. Great, right? I think that makes you a good friend, a good partner, somebody that improves the world by going, you know what, I'm going to try to do something for charity or I'm going to try to do this for my next door neighbour or, you know, with you, the, the old people just going down and, and spending some time with them. These kind of things... I think should be celebrated and are, and are really positive. Where we get into a little bit of trouble is if we only define our worth. So the only way that we get worth is by impacting others. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to feel great when we do something nice for somebody. But what happens in the situation where somebody's upset with us? If I define my worth, right, I'm only valuable I only have worth if I have a positive impact on somebody. What happens when I have a negative impact on somebody? What happens when somebody's upset with me? The only answer is that that must make me a terrible person. Yeah. And so that's when this personality profile can be coupled with a lot of anxiety, a lot of self-judgment, a lot of fear. And then we change our behavior to try to make this person that doesn't like us like us. Yeah, to compensate. Yeah. Because if this person doesn't like us, that makes, that makes me a bad person. That makes me unworthy of love, unworthy of attention, unworthy of care, unworthy of praise. And so I'm going to feel pretty terrible about myself. So you can start to see how the good side, really good when you're empathic and it makes the world a better place. You know, you get things done. People are happier as a result. But then the flip side of that coin, that same coin, is that we can feel pretty terrible about ourselves when somebody gets upset with us. And certainly in my life, and I'm going to guess in your life too, there's times where inevitably people get upset with us for, for one reason or another. Yeah. 
So this is about understanding that dynamic, understanding how if you define your own self-worth by the impact that you have on others, you, you're also going to find yourself in this position where you might have somebody upset with you and then oh, anxiety, you ruminate about it, you're sitting up late at night going, oh, you know, that person, uh, you know, they paid for the, the dinner the other night without me, like, uh, having the opportunity to get my credit card out and pay for the meal. And they must be thinking about how I'm a terrible person. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have let them pay. I should have, I should have at least, you know, gotten up and, like, demanded that I pay for more. I should have, like, got their bank details and transferred them money, even though they said that they wanted to pay for dinner. I should have done this. And then we can't get to sleep. Yeah. That one sound familiar at all to you? Look, yeah, bits of it, yeah. Because you do think... I didn't get the opportunity to do that or I didn't get, yeah, it does. Not the dinner so much, but in other cases, yeah. Uh, I got a psych friend of mine, a psychologist who we used to, we used to go like get coffee or lunch and then we would gamble for who has the opportunity to pay. Right. We both wanted to pay for, for lunch because of this dynamic Right, I'm self-sacrificing. So we had to like roll a dice to see who got the opportunity to pay for lunch for the both of us. And the other person had to experience that guilt that we're talking about. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we had a bit of a, a laugh about it, just understanding that dynamic. The idea with this is to understand the dynamic so that you can then go, oh, okay, yeah, I feel guilty about not paying for dinner or I feel guilty about not calling that person back or I feel guilty about prioritizing my own needs in one way, shape or form. Yeah. And there's this phrase that I'd love everybody to kind of write down in their phone or remind themselves every day, which is we need to learn to tolerate the guilt. So you might notice I'm not telling you not to feel guilty. Yeah. I'm not saying, oh, don't feel guilty. You're going to feel guilty. Like yeah, that's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the whole thing is you're going to. So you've got to accept the girl. Yeah, exactly right. Accept the guilt tolerate it and go, hang on a second, let's take a step back. If somebody else was in this position, if a friend of mine was in this position, would I tell them you should feel guilty for doing X, Y, or Z? Yeah. Or would I say, no, it's totally reasonable. And if it's reasonable, then we want to tolerate that guilt and go, you know what? I actually can set that boundary and I can live with that guilt and I can prioritize my needs in order to have a better life for myself. Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you. So is it true that people who are empaths are more likely to have chronic illness than people who aren't empaths? That's a really good question. It's, it's a complicated answer. It really depends on the individual and how they came about developing that sense of empathy. So one thing that can happen with people is that, say, growing up, your dad would come home from work and sometimes he'd be drunk, sometimes he wouldn't be. Yeah. Or sometimes he'd be angry, sometimes he wouldn't be. Yeah. Now, if he came back home angry and drunk, you needed to not be around. Yeah. Right? So you needed to be in your room. You needed to be scarce. You need to have made sure that the dishwasher's empty. You need to make sure that, you know, there's dinner on the table or whatever it is. Yeah. So when you grow up in this household where you need to be conscious of the emotions of the people around you for your own survival, then you're going to develop this sense of empathy. Yeah. And a lot of people that are highly empathic have learned this empathy as a coping mechanism, uh, as a way to survive their situation growing up. 
Yeah. Now, there's a bunch of positive things as a result of that. That empathy can be excellent in terms of growing friendships. These people often have very large friendship groups and different people that they can go to when they need help with something. Yeah. Uh, they are often quite loved and adored because people go, ah, oh, they're so thoughtful. They're so kind. They're so, you know, like they always know when I'm feeling down. They always know when I'm feeling, feeling like I need help. Yeah. But you might find that, you know, you also rock up to a party as an empath. And for some reason, you're gravitated to the one person in the room that's having a bad day. Yeah. And growing up, you needed to be aware of that exact person that's having a bad day. And that's the person that you needed to prioritize. Well, my parents always used to say to me that when I went to school, I would always pick the person who either didn't have friends or many friends or maybe had a disability. And I would almost like be someone to look out for them and make sure that they're okay. And I'd become friends with them. So they used to say, well, my dad used to say, it's almost like you pick up the stray dog and you look after them to make sure they're safe and they're okay. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about this. I'm, I'm actually thinking about it and thinking up until I was about 13, 14, I had a lot of friends who didn't have many other friends. I had a friend who was a Muslim and no one liked him. And he was in my friendship circle. I had another guy that was a little bit slow with a disability. He was in my circle and they were great people, but other people didn't give them the opportunity because it was like, oh, I don't want to hang out with that person. And so I guess I just gravitate towards those people. And then and that le I learn a lot about myself because then you can take on that, not abuse, but I guess name calling of, oh, you're with the Indian person, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to say the words they actually use. And so you would actually take on board some of that stuff. And then I guess maybe even filter it out for them. If they said, oh, what did they say? You went, oh, they just... They don't like you very much, but that's okay. We, we don't have to worry, you know. So I, I guess it's a protection thing for other people who I felt couldn't stand up for themselves. Not that I was a fighter or anything like that. I'd never had a fight and I was bullied quite a bit and I learned to run quick, but I always would stand out and, you know, make sure those people who didn't have anyone else were looked after. So I'm hearing here a real strong sense of justice. Yeah. Trying to work out what's fair for people and, and and when when you see an injustice when you see things that you know people not treated fairly that's when you go you know what i'm going to try to do something about that yeah and I, again that's a really positive thing you know in my opinion yeah the idea with these things is they can be incredibly positive and i think self-sacrificing and prioritizing other people's needs just amazing people that come out as a result you know that empathy is great i just also work with people where i go we want to keep this in check yeah. Uh, we want to make sure that you're still prioritizing your own needs, uh, particularly when it's important to do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see that because now we're talking about it. I'm thinking about times when I have been really exhausted and I've still pushed myself to do something. And it's almost a balance, isn't it? You can still be the person who goes out and supports people and helps people, but then you need to be able to say, look, this weekend, I can't help anyone. I'm just going to have the weekend to myself. Now, what, what comes to my mind when we're talking about this is the, the safety demonstrations on airplanes. Right? Yeah. They always say you need to fit your own mask before you fit anyone else's. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I often talk to some junior psychologists, so they're, they're finishing off their, their training, and I, I often ask them the question, yep, you can see an extra couple of clients every day, and I reckon you can probably do that for, for probably a good two years, three years, right? 
And then I think that there's, you know, maybe three, four, five years, but like then you're going to burn out and you're no longer going to have the capacity to be a psychologist. Yeah. So at this point in your career, I know you want to help people, but do you want to help people for the next 20 years or do you want to help people for the next five years? Yeah. And then burn out and quit. Yeah. So this is a, about understanding that helping people making the world a better place, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So by prioritizing your own needs and understanding that you have limits, setting boundaries, you're not being selfish. In fact, you are looking to the long term and working at how you can positively impact the most people or have the best outcomes for uh, improving the world over the long term. Yeah. And that really means prioritizing yourself at times because guess what? You're a person in this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so making the world a better place includes yourself. It's hard to also pull back, though, if you're one of these people because people have got so used to you always helping. And I guess when you say, oh, actually, I can't help you this time, they're going to go, what, what? You, you always help me. Yeah, sometimes it's some backlash, right? Yeah. And sometimes that's when we really notice, oh, hang on a second, maybe this relationship's been very one-sided for a long period of time. And maybe this is a good thing that I can recognize that right now. Yeah, so then you can move back and go, okay, that's someone I don't need to help anymore. I need to help other people. Yeah. It's a balance, isn't it? It's a seesaw. Make yeah. sure the seesaw's balancing out fairly. Yeah. That's uh, really like this big concept that I wanted to talk about. If people wanted more information about this or how I might uh, go about you know, using this in therapy, the broader term is schema therapy. Um, I would have used that term a couple of times with you, but schema therapy, and this one comes under subjugation or self-sacrificing. So if people are interested in doing a little bit more work or self-discovery, they can certainly look up a couple of different books along those lines or go out and get therapy themselves uh, with somebody that specializes in uh, schema therapy. Ah, and I've actually got some books here on schema therapy and I bought them and I've never actually read them and now I know what they're about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that finishes us up for people pleasers, don't you? Yeah, people pleasers, you know, like and self-sacrifices or subjugators. Yeah, like all the different things under that one category. There's certainly a lot more that we could go through, but I think that one of the big things that I go through in therapy is, is we, we tailor it more to the individual and how their own schemas or their own patterns of behaviours originated, like how they, yeah, how yeah. they first developed, but then how this pattern of behaviour influences their relationships. So either their friendships or their intimate relationships or their relationships with uh, family as well. And so then we start to kind of draw up these patterns and then we go, well, hang on, are these patterns helpful or are they destructive? Do we want to change some of them? Do we want to go about prioritizing your own needs in these ways or these ways? Uh, and then we go about setting up ways that we might run some experiments to tolerate that guilt. I'm going to say yeah. that one again, tolerate the guilt. Tolerate the guilt. Yeah. Then go about hopefully having some positive changes so that we can be around and have more energy to help more people for many, many more years to come. Beautiful, Isaac. That was fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. I'm sure everybody will get lots of little tidbits out of that and it will help them to recognise if they're a people pleaser and what they need to do to conserve their energy. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, well, I'll speak to you again soon, Isaac. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. 
If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.